Today on Foodstuffs, we think about urban farming and how to create meaningful community in real life. And then Jess takes a walk through a suburban forest with her boss, Jeff Hopgood, a.k.a. The Ramp Man. Hi, my name is Karab Lama. We are here at my restaurant, Japan Kitchen, in a parktail in Toronto. And you're listening to The Foodstuff. That's good. Yeah. It's I don't know if you get one because they look exactly like a green onion, but really it's the smell. Welcome to Foodstuffs, a podcast about food and culture. And their intersections. I'm Jessica Walker. And I'm Brian Goman. What do you think? Was that one better? Well, at least we remember to say our names this time. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I know my mom likes it better, at least. That's something... That is nice. Yeah. <laughs> you were just home to see your mom and your family. How, how was your trip home? It was really, really nice. Um, always very, very nice to go home. Always very, very nice to have a barbecue with my parents. Uh, when I'm in Toronto, there's basically three things that I miss or that I can't replace, I should say. Um, one, of course, is my parents. Um, the other is, of course, the ocean. But the third one is Turkish food, which... What? Yeah, there is not Turkish food in Toronto, and maybe because you're from this around here, you wouldn't know this, but um, there is a big enough Turkish diaspora in Halifax that there's got to be at least four different Turkish restaurants, Turkish Delight being my favorite on Spring Garden Road. Um, so you walk into these Turkish restaurants, and there is a beautiful deli case full of mm. marinating meats. They're all raw ready to go and you they cook them to order on this delicious grill so it's a little bit smoky but more than that it's just like succulent and delicious they're served with like this delicious fluffy rice pilaf the the whole thing that cements it for me though is this fresh hot sauce it's like a tomatoey spicy hot sauce and it's it's actually super special because when i walk in there i i go home maybe once a year maybe twice a year always go to turkish delight and they still remember who i am so that always makes a girl feel real good <laughs> That was pretty special. Have you been eating? What were you doing while I was gone? Have, have you been eating anything? I have tasty? been eating. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad to hear. Oh, thank to, God. To, to fast the entire time. <laughs> In <Yeah>. my absence. <laughs> Just for me. Yeah. Uh, uh, I. You know what? I, I, I came into the city with Simmel and we went to uh, Bar Ravel there on uh, College in Palmerston. It had been meaning to go for a while. And one thing really stuck out, which was this uh, smoked mackerel that we got. And... I get to tell you, the flavor was just unbelievable. And it really brought me back to uh, growing up, uh, spending summers on Georgian Bay. And there was a place called Gillies that was uh, just north of Perry Sound uh, in Snug Harbor, I believe. And it's just like a little restaurant right on the water where the fishing boat comes in every day. And they have a little smokehouse for their fish. And we used to get smoked mackerel, smoked pickerel things like that. Just and the freshest, most beautiful. Uh, <laughs> just, I did not think I was going to get transported back to like a smelly dock. And <laughs> <laughs> I did not think that, that that's where it was going to take me, but it did. It really that's did. Like so back to like eating uh, food off of like a card table in the back of the boat with, you know, just your uh, swim shorts on. That's cool. Yeah, it was uh, it was great. Well, I'm happy to be back, and you can stop fasting now, so okay. that's good. <laughs> Thank God. I'm starving. <laughs> so we should talk a little bit about um, the response that we've gotten so far. Oh, we man. released our, our first episode uh, two weeks ago. 
So and cool. I don't know what you were expecting. I I realized that I didn't think about what I was expecting. I don't know what I was expecting, but I was not expecting what what we got so back so far. Yeah, so. it's huge, and I it's just exciting. It's sort of validating, right? Yes. Because we've been locked up, the two of us talking about this for a long time. I'm excited to keep going on this idea, and I think people are kind of picking up on that, and uh, hopefully they'll come with us. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So thank you. Yay. All right, well, moving along. Uh, For those who love to garden but find themselves living in the city without access to their own green space, you know how difficult it can be to find somewhere to satisfy your urge to nurture plant life. Um, In recent years, there have been a number of initiatives that have been created to address this situation, including things like community farms. Which are communal plots of lands that get divvied up and handed out, generally on a first-come, first-served basis. Growing on that idea, community groups and organizers are also now in the business of matchmaking would-be gardeners with busy homeowners, allowing those without to make use of the land that would otherwise go untended. Yeah, I know that there was a Yimby, a Yes in My Backyard program in Halifax, and that uh, the stop here in Toronto has one too, from what I understand. Um, so enter Jacob Kiri Moreland. Yes, I met with Jacob Kiri Moreland, uh, I would call him a community organizer and plant activist, who's based in Aurelia, uh, just uh, about two hours north of Toronto, about the unconventional way he's pooling resources in his area and providing more for everyone in the process. Let's start with what gave him the idea to invite the community onto his private land. In particular, I was inspired by a book, um, Macro Wikinomics, by Don Tapscott, who's like a world-renowned theorist on you know, technology and society and how information communication technologies are transforming industries. And So I wanted to take that as this wiki idea kind of transformed Napster or transformed the music industry and all these industries. And I wanted to see how it would apply to food production and agriculture. Is it, are we talking, is it, on my picture, one farm or is it a collection of farms? What, what is wiki yeah. farm? So the wiki farm is, um, is what I ref- call our family farm. And so like uh, often farms are named after the owner's family name. And our, my family name is Curie Moreland. So as opposed to calling it the Curie Moreland farm, uh, I gave it the nickname the wiki farm. So that it exists both as a physical site, but also as a collection of sites and a philosophy. And so really it's a, it's a way of thinking about uh, agriculture and farming and growing food that is a little different than you know, the traditional concepts of agriculture, what a farm should be like. So typically you have like a farmer who lives on site and they may have a few farmhands that come and they work for the whole summer, right? You have a small group of people. Whereas I wanted to kind of unlock or unleash the potential of you know, mass participation and collaboration. There is a huge demand for gardening opportunities and spaces in the city, but there's very few spaces available for that, that demand, to satisfy that demand. So that's why we've taken a more communal approach rather than the allotment style, so that it's not like 10 people who get to rent a plot every year and then 1,000 people waiting on a waiting list to get right. in. It's like 1,000 people participating and then together we can advocate for more space for everybody. And so um, all these, these farms, these community farms, where are they? Are they in people back, people's backyards? Are they in uh, like community parks? Where are all these different uh, gardens? They're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they're like on farms. Like we're finding a lot of farmers in our area are offering up like acreage, large acreage, acres of space for people in the community to grow. We have gardens at city parks. Uh, churches and other faith groups. We have church, uh, gardens at um, 
you know, people's front yards and backyards. We do a garden share program or a yes in my backyard program. So yeah, they're literally everywhere. They're in planter boxes and you know, artistically designed boxes downtown, um, on rooftops and balconies and anywhere you can imagine, anywhere there's sun and soil and water, which is... Everywhere. Everywhere, yeah. <laughs> Maybe if you could t- tell me, like, because this is the part that I'm really interested in is sort of how does that, how does it work? Like, how is it organized? How do people know what to do, when to do it, when right. to show up, that kind of thing? Yeah, so just like Wikipedia has kind of a collection of editors that kind of moderate the site to make sure that everybody's kind of like going within the guidelines, we have community gardening days. So we have set aside like a chunk of hours at each garden site for the community each different day of the week so that people can show up and they get oriented to the garden by different garden coordinators. We have you know, one or two people assigned to be there present to welcome new people to the site to then have a list of tasks that people kind of work out democratically. We discuss you know, what needs to be done today and who knows how to do what, and then we do the best we can with what we have. If we have questions, we consult one another, or we ask the community at, uh, at large, or we go online and research it. Uh, and so the most, for the most part, it's, uh, it's kind of a decentralized collective decision-making model. Now, who, like, who are those people? Who are those people that are the organizers and the people that are the community members that are coming out and participating? Well, a shout-out to my friend Andy Robbins. He's like one of our gardening champions. He has, within one kilometer walking distance, about uh, close to half a dozen community gardens now. And so he's there every day, going to all the different gardens. He has a, a wagon, he brings all the tools, and he's there, and people know him by name. Everybody in the community now knows him, and if they have any questions, they can uh, ask him. And then once people are familiar with the gardens and how it works, then they can then take on that role of then welcoming new people to the group. And what about the, the, the community members? Are these people that had already been interested and already had been involved in uh, gardening or farming, or are you finding complete rookies? Who are these people that are sort of uh, getting involved? Most, I would probably say most of the people getting involved in the community garden are rookies. They're uh, people who are agri-curious, as I like to say. Uh, you know, they're, they're first-timers. Um, a lot of people who have experience with gardening, they're, they're probably... Uh, you know, knowledgeable enough to be able to set up their own garden at where they live or to kind of be self-directed in that sense. Whereas a lot of people looking for direction, they're coming out to the community garden so that they can tap into that body of knowledge. And, and also they're looking for community and looking for, you know, a way to give back. Well, I think what's interesting too is it's, you know, community is now a word that has a, a couple of different meanings or connotations, yeah. right? And some people, when they hear community, especially in relation to social media, it's a very much digital semi-anonymous kind of world that's detached yeah. from uh, from community as, as we knew it growing up, which is the people around you, yeah. right? And, the, and your, your surroundings. And this is really a combination of the two. I think this yeah. is a really strong co- uh, example of a combination of, of that. Yeah, it's been pretty exciting because we have a lot of people moving into it, really, a lot of young families and young people coming to school and They've heard about community gardening or they had a community garden in their other town or community and then they get to the city of Aurelia and they Google community gardening Aurelia and it pops up the Facebook group and then they send us an email and say, hey, I'm new to Aurelia. How do I get involved? And we say, hey, come out to the garden on this day. And then just like that, we're able to connect with people like instantly and they're able to find like-minded people in the community and just like fit right in. And so we've had a lot of newcomers to the community join the 
the community gardens for that, that very reason, to build community. Then when they're there, they know that they're welcome, they get to meet, make new friends, and then from there they're introduced to other things going on in the community that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with food or gardening. I'm here with uh, Jacob Kiri Moreland. Uh, on the U of T campus, we're outside a, a beautiful rose garden in, in Knox College, and we're really out here in, in the nature, and we're talking Weeki Farm. So I want to know, where is this going? So is this something that's happening other places? Are you hoping that this inspires uh, other communities to do the same sort of thing? Yeah, <laughs> I am. <laughs> to put it bluntly, I got the idea of community gardening from um, the Toronto Community Garden Network in particular, which acts as a very similar, like online community for one, tcgn.ca, um, has a map of community gardens all around the city and they list resources and they do workshops and they do a lot of the same things that we're doing. But the open source agriculture movement is really taking off. And while people haven't necessarily used the, the word wiki farm per se, that hasn't necessarily, I haven't really been promoting it, um, there's been all kinds of different incarnations and other labels for it. Like, uh, op like open source agriculture, for example, or open source ecology and there's Many other movements that I found online are the Free Food Project, uh, Food is Free Project, that's doing a lot of these same things, and they're, they're using online social media communities and then building real life communities. So we talked a little bit about you talked a little bit about what the difference is between like a traditional farm and how this wiki structure is, is, is different. What's what's similar? What's similar is that it's rooted in in the earth. It's people are reconnecting with, with the land and they're growing food. I mean, it's not like what we're doing is, is really anything new. Um, it may be kind of a, a twist on the old, applying some new technologies, in particular the way we communicate and organize with one, each other, with one another and, and how we conceptualize property and ownership uh, as part of you know, the sharing economy. I see this as just an, another extension of that. So just as we share cars or bike share or you know Airbnb or couch surfing or you know the library, so too can we share uh, the means of food production. Jacob, thanks. My pleasure. Really appreciate it. That was Jacob Kiri Moreland on site at the University of Toronto talking about the network of wiki farms in and around Aurelia, Ontario. If ever you take a trip to Aurelia and want to check out the project, you can find their wiki farm page on Facebook. Uh, we'll make sure to have a link on our site. Definitely. Foodstuffs.life. Next up, Jess interviews her boss. This is from when I got to go foraging for the first time back in April. Um, full disclosure, I feel kind of weird about introducing this person because I work for him. I'm certainly not here to advertise the restaurant, but Jeff is an incredibly passionate person, and for me, that passion is infectious. When we started talking about this podcast, I think it was one of the first ideas I had was to talk about his master forager status, something that I've been talking about now for years, table side. But I had a really hard time imagining what that actually meant to be a master forager, and so it was pretty special for us to get out into the woods together. So let's get into it. Here's Jess with her boss, owner and head chef of Hopgood's Food Learner, Jeff Hopgood. Where are we? We are somewhere in Oshawa. Mm-hmm. Heading up to a little spot in the woods mm -hmm. to find some wild leeks. Also known as? Ramps. Ramps. See, you can see them. The only little green thing. Uh, 
Yeah. Time of year is actually, I mean, it's kind of idiot proof. <laughs> <laughs> the, the forest is so brown and the ramps are like the only really green thing. So you can see all the little tiny little wild leeks here. Yeah, they almost look like little itty bee flowers, like tulip leaves or something as they're yeah. starting, right? Yeah. Actually, it looks a lot like Lily of the Valley, which apparently is poisonous. Oh. <laughs> but, oh, shit. big difference in, like, the smell. Yeah. And that's the way to tell, right? Like, you pick them up, give them a sniff. Well, I think they um, grow at different times also. Oh, okay. How long have you been coming to this one? I'd say about 15 years. And it, is it true that this is the first place that you might have ever picked ramps? It is, exactly. Okay. First time ever. And um, who showed you how to find ramps or um, what's the story behind that? I read about it and in in I think it was a Globe and Mail, There's an article. They kind of do one like every spring, but this was a long time ago. And I think it was a chef, Keith Froggett, was like writing about it. It's a love for ramps. And then I saw the picture, and then I saw them in real life, and I tried them. Yeah, you know, picked them and smelled them, and then it, we picked a bunch and ate them. Yep, this patch right here. Oh, yeah. My trusty shovel. Yeah, compact. And so what about ramps requires a shovel? You gotta dig them up. Dig them up? Because... Strong roots. Okay. And how deep do they tend to go? Well, be probably like an inch deep or so, and then the roots are a little bit longer. So, but this is like soft, sort of muddy soil, so they come out super easily. So that's sometimes. why it's the primo setup. It's good. So these are our first pick of the day. Yeah, looking good. Do a little patch now, like thing is like they take a while to come back so you don't want to pick like a whole patch yeah like what you are the ethics to, well you want them to be able to go to seed so that they can you know continue on the following year in the same patch like if you picked the whole patch it would most likely be gone so we'll just pick a little bit of it that's a good little bunch nice The ideal situation is, is to eat them raw? Uh, yeah, or like lightly cooked. Mm -hmm. But like, you can smell them like, smell, like, yeah, like the soil and the leek combined. Mm -hmm. It's really nice smell. But uh, so raw is delicious. Mm -hmm. um, lightly sauteed is really nice too. You wouldn't want to overcook them too much. A lot of people pickle them. Mm -hmm. uh, people ferment them. Um, we've made, uh, taken the tops and done like a uh, puree. And you can fold it into like, well, butter or risotto. I feel like we also, back in the day, made a ramp martini. That's right. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, still kind of like a Gibson martini, but... Yeah, exactly. 
instead of pearl one, onions. This one's very, this one's a tough one. Lots of root matter to deal with. Just don't want to like break them, you know? You've taken the time to take them out. The bulb. They're home. And yeah, you don't want to bust that bulb off. Nice. It's what, like two degrees? Maybe we just saw some snow on our way here. Yeah, I have dug them when they were super babies out of the snow. So when Chef Rene Redzepi came to Hopgoods years ago, mm -hmm. we did like a special meal for them. We made a dish called the, uh, it was a, it was like a butter poached crab claw with wild leeks and we had picked the babies like right out of like frozen soil. Do you know many other chefs that uh, in, in, in around Ontario and in around Toronto that do their own foraging? Oh yeah. I mean, I, I used to work in Vancouver and I had picked wild leeks before going to Vancouver and kind of always missed that when I was out there and but what I liked about cooking in Vancouver was that you'd have these guys that would come from the interior and stuff and they would have mushrooms and they would bring them right to you or wild apricots or whatever and I I liked how they came right to the restaurant and like you kind of get to see their haul and uh, different types of mushrooms and whatnot and when I came back to Toronto no one was really doing that so so for me to get to meet people meet chefs and stuff. I used to pick them and I used to go and sell them to the restaurants. It's kind of a way for me to get in the door, introduce myself, and uh, give them something that I know that they'd want. That was kind of my thing at that time. Like, I wasn't really working and I didn't really know anybody, so I just like would pick leeks and go sell them to restaurants and then line up a stage and go work there and find a job. and. So that's known as like the ramp man. <laughs> so we're early in the season. Ramps are first of the of the spring, but yeah. what else? What else does Southern Ontario provide as far as? Uh, lots of different mushrooms for sure. Yeah. All sorts. Like morels should be coming out pretty soon. Mm -hmm. um, they're hard to find. Up at uh, my cottage, there's a lot of like wild asparagus which I don't think is actually wild but probably gone to seed from you know a farm close by you know there's fiddleheads a good fiddlehead spot I would think is something prized um, but then there's like you know there's so many little wild edible things like right now there's like garlic mustard that's coming up and it's very tasty, it's very pretty, it's very young right now. And um, easy to find, it's like a weed. It's like a green as well? It is a green, yeah. Do you forage when you go traveling? I do, yeah. So like, I know it's go try a couple of spots for chanterelles and, you know, I mean, digging clams and kind of whatever, whatever lends itself available. It's always a good time to me.
there's, and there's definitely a lot of work that goes into the cleaning of them. You know, when you get them back, you have to sort of get all this mud off, make sure there's no like grit. Um, kind of trim them down, wash them, and then pack them away. And when you pick them in abundance, that can lead to some, you know, kind of tedious hours of doing so. Yeah. It's, it's a labor of love, you know, like... A true passion. <laughs> and, uh... What is it on special tonight? Yeah, we'll have, like, a confit pork trotter. Mm-hmm. And, um... We're just gonna serve with, like, a big pile of sautéed wild leeks. You know, pork and wild leeks are just delicious together also. Nice. And, uh... You know, in my opinion, like being able to eat something like this in abundance is pretty special once a year. And as far as customers are concerned, it's cool for me because I get to talk to them and, you know, I can tell them that the chef picked these ramps, you know? Sure. And there's kind of like an awe in, in the faces of some of those people. Do you think that that is something that has changed? in recent years or do you think that you know you could have done this 10 years ago and had the same response or is something changed as far as the dining experience that people get excited by that stuff um yeah, that's a good question i feel like you know it's always kind of impressive when things are handmade hand-picked hand-grown you know so i don't know if that's really changed but Definitely people's appreciation of good food has gone up. You know, you see that they're willing to, to go out on a regular basis and pay for, for their meals. And I think just doing something like this makes it that much more special, more fresh, more local. So how do we do? We good? We got about six pounds, probably. Mm -hmm. Take them back and clean them up. I'm ready for dinner. All right, well, thank you so much. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Thank and that was Jess talking with Jeff Hopgood, owner of Hopgood's Food Liner, an East Coast-inspired restaurant on the West End of Toronto. Uh, Jess, that must have been sort of interesting and fun, sort of seeing this guy you see all the time in a, in a different different place, different environment? Yeah, it was actually really, really cool for me because I know this man in a very particular way, normally centered around this very particular place, which is the restaurant, of course. Um, and if you've ever known anyone who works in a kitchen or if you've ever logged hours watching food TV, you probably have a good sense of what working as a cook looks like. There's long hours, there's cramped quarters, high-paced atmosphere. So it was actually very cool to see him in an entirely opposite, different setting. Uh, and sort of to realize that this is a quiet place that he still makes time for. I love listening to those two pieces together because we've got two men who are very passionate about plants, one in a very direct sort of hand harvested way, and the other one who would take that ingredient and go make something special with it. So really interesting to see those two side by side like that. Yeah. And by the way, for those who aren't familiar with pork trotters, they are essentially the forearm of a pig. 
I mean, mm. <laughs> no, really, I know. it sounds good. It actually is, and especially comfying anything. Good God, um, I did my best to make sure to take the photos of the entire process. I have to say that the ones that I took of, at the pass of the final dish are not the best quality, but uh, I think they'll give you a sense of how the dish looked. And I actually took a number of photos while we were out in the forest as well. So I'll, I'll make sure to put those online somewhere. Next week on Foodstuffs, we talk to David Lockett of the Packed Gardening Program, on site at a school in the Lawrence Heights community of Toronto that's really taken that gardening program and run with it. And my search for the world's best sandwich lands me in Elmville, Ontario, at a gas station smoke shack. Sounds delicious. Uh, in case you're curious, we will be posting to iTunes and Stitcher in due time. Uh, we'll be sure to let everyone know through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, on here, on our website when that happens. In the meantime, please bear with us and our SoundCloud ways. And in that vein, if you have anything else to say, please don't hesitate. Get in touch with us. You can search for Foodstuffs on Facebook and you can like us there. And also on Twitter and Instagram, we are at Foodstuffs Life. Don't forget the website, Brian. Foodstuffs. Dot life. Um, and we should, of course, give a huge shout out to Eric Batlam and CIUT for being incredibly gracious and lending us Studio 2. I'm Jessica Walker. And I'm Brian Goldman. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>